0: Welcome to The Business of Learning, the learning leader's podcast from
1: Training Industry. Hello, and welcome to The Business of Learning. I'm Sarah Gallo, an Associate Editor at Training Industry. And I'm Taryn
0: H. DeLong, Managing Editor. This episode of The Business of Learning is sponsored by The Inception Company.
2: The Inception Company offers an integrated and interconnected ecosystem of products, technologies, and services. Our newest innovation, Pando, redefines virtual engagement by reinforcing the power of human connection to the instructors, the content, and each other. Pando integrates a full studio production with remote participants displayed on a 40-foot video wall, in-person moderator or moderators, and seamless onboarding support. Learners participate in a highly interactive experience that delivers the impact of an in-person meeting. For more information, visit pandomeetings.com or inceptioncompany.com.
1: 20 has accelerated the adoption of virtual meeting and collaboration tools as companies look to keep their employees connected and engaged as they worked remotely during the coronavirus pandemic. It's also become clear that remote work and learning are both here to stay. We spoke with the Inception company about a year ago about this very topic right at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, but a year later, we're speaking with them again to revisit. Today, we're speaking with Matt Gigerich. Chief Executive Officer of the Inception Company, and Sean Urban, President of the Inception Company, about virtual engagement. Sean, Matt, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here with uh, you all. And it's hard to believe it's been over a year since we engaged the last time and my, how our world has changed and become virtual.
0: That's for sure. Understatement of the century, I think. With that in mind, Sean, do you want to kind of kick us off with how, how you saw 2020 really transforming uh, virtual meetings and, and virtual training in particular.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. I think first and foremost, 2020 really required companies to pivot and companies pivoted from largely in being reliant upon in-person events and meetings to pivot to being all virtual. And we saw some of our clients who pivoted very quickly and reaped a lot of benefit around pivoting so quickly. And we also saw clients who experimented a bit, some who were innovative in their approaches. Certainly, we saw clients fail, but most importantly, learn from those failures and get better and stronger at delivering virtual training meetings and events. We also saw our clients really reorient and retrain their employees and organizations on how to operate and work successfully in a virtual environment. And also, it really forced us, suppliers and innovators, in the virtual meeting and event space to adapt, to innovate, to fail, and to learn from our failures. One of the ways is we offer a premier virtual event platform called Pando that's studio-based. And we have eight to ten technicians and engineers that work out of our control room in our studio that are producing these virtual events for meetings that really matter. And in light of COVID-19 and the necessity to socially distance our crew and limit the number of people at our studio for these events, we had to invest in technology that would allow our crew and our technicians and engineers to produce these events virtually themselves from the comfort of their homes. So even suppliers like the Inception Company were required to adapt. And we've certainly seen that 2020 brought about competition in the virtual event and learning space. And that competition was born opportunistically, but it also was born out of survival for some organizations. Yeah. And if
3: I could just pile onto that, um, I'm thinking less about the companies and how they've changed and adapted, but more how individuals, how the workers, how all of us, even those of us on the call right now, had to change. And, and in, in truth now, this many months into the pandemic, we've all become you know, this incredible, well-trained, if not perfectly trained, band of independent remote work world warriors. And we've learned skills and had to adapt in ways we wouldn't have imagined two years ago. Um, The technology itself has become fairly ubiquitous and people's facility with technology has jumped enormously in the past 12 months. Uh, If you went back two years ago and asked 100 people to join a simple web conference or a video conference, at least half of them never would have been able to connect. And now virtually everybody can connect and can even troubleshoot their own tech. And I think that uh, the question about how is training transformed in 2020, certainly companies had to quickly pivot, as Sean said, to train employees on how to deal with this new work world, Um, being at home, being at home alone, possibly being at home with family or children, how to get things done without being physically connected on a day-to-day work level with their colleagues. Um, And that was an enormous amount of training that people had to go through, both directed by the company and just self-taught learning by experiment. And as people went. And now, of course, the what comes next training is how to blend all of this new knowledge and skill into the work world that's going to emerge, that is certainly not going back 100% to the way it used to be. It's going to be a new blended world of remote workers and live on location workers, events that are purely virtual, events that are a hybrid of on location and virtual. And those are all new skills we've all learned real time in the past 12 months. And we can all take those skills forward into the new kind of bold world of work that's going to emerge.
1: Those are some great points, Matt. I definitely resonate with the idea of transforming kind of into a remote work warrior. I think many of us may have not had the skills to be successful working from home at the beginning of the pandemic, but have truly adapted. So it's great to see. Well, on the other hand of that, obviously, we didn't become masters at work or virtual engagement overnight. What kind of virtual engagement lessons did we learn during the coronavirus pandemic?
2: Um, Sean, let's start with you. Well, you know, I think some of the lessons that we learned during the, the pandemic were really building upon lessons that we've learned for quite some time. And one of those is that content is still king. And it's really important that we're adapting content based on the virtual platform that has been selected uh, for the event or training session that uh, you're holding. And it's really, really important to, to select that right virtual platform for the, the task at hand. We've also talked about the importance of managing what's become to be known as Zoom fatigue, to keep remote attendees, their minds sharp, them emotionally healthy, and to ensure that they're retaining the information uh, that we're they're training them on or that we're delivering to them. We also have learned that, um, There sometimes is not a one size fits all virtual platform for a a particular need and that there's a need to combine, combine and integrate virtual platforms to truly fully meet the objectives and and the needs of the, uh, the event or the, the training. We've known for a while that it's important to, uh, that multimodality within platforms is really, really important to keep, people engaged in virtual trainings and and sessions. And that became super important uh, as we've kind of trudged our way through the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. But I think maybe one of the most important lessons that we've learned working and being trained and learning virtually for so long now during the pandemic is that platforms that allow human to human connections and the connection of humans to humanity uh, are what remote attendees are really desiring and what they're missing from being together in person as they were uh, so, uh, so frequently.
3: Yeah, boy, that, that's right on, Sean. And uh, the human connection piece is just exactly on point. And uh, if I could just add a, a couple of thoughts here. You know, I think one of the Biggest lessons we learned about the world and the way the world can work using virtual technologies and platforms is that, in fact, it can work, and that companies have, if not already, they soon will be implementing their what comes after coronavirus plans. And I think most are going to be putting in place plans that acknowledge that this grand experiment that was foisted upon the universe has proved a certain theory that is now irrefutable, that a large majority, if not all, a large majority of the workforce can in fact do what they do remotely. And that's going to change everything from expectations of employment and location to real estate, buildings, leases, etc. And those are uh, lessons that are going to change the way the world looks going forward. We also learned that virtual as a few of us were discussing earlier, it can be quite uh, all-consuming and even draining. Um, Sean mentioned Zoom fatigue, which is, it's a real thing. It doesn't have to be. I think another point Sean has made is that, you know, selecting the right platform, the the right technology for the task, matching tech to task, is really important because not every meeting needs a video camera. Not every meeting needs um, content being shared. Some meetings can be done by phone. Some meetings can be done by a simple web conference and a screen share. And some meetings need to be a full-on production that engages not just the mind and the eyeballs, but the heart and the emotion of the human at the other end as well. And that continuum is something that's going to have to be actively thought through and managed now by companies when they think about, well, how do we apply these learnings of the virtual world and all these technologies into the way we go forward?
1: Yeah. Thanks for breaking that down for us. It seems like COVID has definitely been a a crash course in pretty much all things virtual. Well, looking ahead, how do you guys think that these lessons will shape the future of virtual meetings and training?
2: Well, I I can start. Um, I think, number one, since it's been a, a year or so of trial and error, experimentation, learning on various virtual platforms, that ultimately clients will be more informed and they'll be more discerning in the virtual platforms that they select. And by the way, remote attendees are going to be more savvy and effective in their participation in virtual events and virtual uh, training sessions. I do think content agencies are going to be more knowledgeable in how they create content for uh, virtual events. And I do believe, although some clients are taking longer to learn this lesson than others, and certainly perhaps larger clients in which technologies are forced upon the entire organization, that a one-size-fits-all approach to virtual events and virtual technology platforms will no longer work, will no longer be preferred out of simply technology fear or convenience as it, uh, as it once was. There certainly is going to be a desire and a need for a virtual element or a component to in-person events, once we get back to these in-person events in the foreseeable future, and this hybrid event that the marketplace is talking about, it's not just hyperbole. It's here to stay. And then the last thought you know, I have is data security and management and cybersecurity is going to continue to grow in importance. And so I do think that you will see virtual technology providers uh, really assuring their clients that they have these security measures in place and that their data uh, is protected along the way yeah those are
3: all great points sean um i I really don't have much i can add other than suggesting that companies are still very much fumbling through this even though we're a year into this um, pandemic and all the experimentation and learning that we've had, um, you know, we're still trying to solve problems with technology when it might not be a technology challenge. Um, Things like uh, Zoom social hours and uh, trivia games, attempting to fill in for human contact, I think we're going to recognize as we go forward that there are certain things that technology and platforms and virtual events and even hybrid events really are perfect for and getting better and better for. And I'll certainly highlight our own platform, Pando, in saying that. But there are other things that it really falls short. And while you can hold a, a virtual cocktail hour because we're not allowed to connect because of the pandemic uh, a year from now a virtual cocktail hour is going to seem like a hollow attempt at filling a yearning for actual human connection and we should you know be very discerning about how we as workers and employees and how we as leaders of businesses think about that line and where we should do things live must do things live and in other cases where we don't need to be live um, and what's, you know, what the balances are that we have to strike there.
0: Seems like there's a lot of nuance there and, you know, everyone was picking it up as they went last year. So with that in mind, what were some of the mistakes that you saw organizations making last year when they were switching, you know, meetings and training programs to the virtual space?
3: I'll, I'll just jump in and uh, say that I think one of the biggest mistakes that we've seen, and we attempt to correct it all the time in the work we do with our clients, is thinking of a virtual meeting or a virtual event as a didactic broadcast that there's a message that has to be conveyed, there's a slide deck that has to be gone through, there's a presenter that has to present, and that everybody else is there as a you know a drone or a sponge there to just soak in the information, and that's the extent to which they've thought it through. And for all of us who sat behind our camera and screen now for hours and days and weeks and even months uh, at a time, I think we can all recognize that when When what we are supposed to be engaging with feels like it's just content being pushed out through my screen, um, it becomes the opposite, it becomes less engaging. So I think um, that's one of the biggest mistakes is thinking of it as a one way correspondence when if it's not two-way, you're truly not engaging on the other end. Um, On the other hand, as I suggested earlier, if you go so far as to think that somehow the technology is going to replace actual human contact and through kind of failed attempts at creating the social games and the cocktail hours and things like that, as if that's going to fill that void, that's certainly a mistake too. And you have to be discerning about which uh, technology you pick for which event and what content you push into that event, and then ultimately how you choose to engage each other through those events, all very different depending on what kind of meeting or objective you've got.
2: And you know, Matt, just to build on some of those common mistakes around uh, the one-way pushing uh, of content more in a broadcast you know, format, it's also trying to incorporate too much content and curriculum in individual virtual training sessions, that leads to exhaustion and fatigue and distraction from the remote uh, learner. And we oftentimes can see that if we are using platforms that have the ability to calculate remote attendee engagement scores and measures, and if we're looking at those measured engagement measures and scores closely, we should be using them to really reorient and evolve the next virtual training session agenda and to revise our content in that next virtual instructor-led training session that eliminates some of this content fatigue. And, and Zoom fatigue and technology fatigue, et cetera. Lastly, you know, I'll just add, and I've, I've mentioned this really uh, earlier in, in our discussion, some of the additional mistakes that we, have, we saw clients make is just simply pivoting too late to, from in-person to virtual events. And while clients did a lot of due diligence and spent a lot of time in the assessment and, a, and evaluation phase, of various virtual platforms, sometimes that effort just took way too long, and they found themselves losing momentum uh, in critical staff development needs and opportunities that passed them by in uh, in 2020. Well said.
0: Well, Sean, you mentioned engagement, and I think we've all, we've all been unengaged participants in virtual events, and we've all experienced other people's disengagement as well. So what tips do you have for keeping people engaged when it comes to these virtual training events?
2: Well, I think first and foremost, the, uh, the leaders, the presenters, the moderators, and the trainers uh, of these virtual events, they have to be dynamic communicators. And they certainly have to be well-trained and comfortable with the virtual platform that is being utilized. Matt mentioned this earlier, that also ensuring that for the right sessions, training sessions and events and meetings that really, really matter, that there's high production value associated with that meeting or event becomes critically, critically important. It's also important for organizations and and trainers to leverage platforms whereby the, the trainer or the moderator can read body language, mannerisms of remote attendees, and, and literally pull distracted learners back into the session. And I think we've known this for a while, but incorporating a bit of fun into sessions, using various techniques and tools that are at our disposal, like gamification or building personal moments or entertaining moments into that virtual event becomes uh, really, really important. And when you think about leveraging virtual platforms like Pando that are studio-based, really taking advantage of the unique set designs and staging and the multiple camera angles and shots and the regular switching of the program feed, that a platform like Pando has to offer uh, our clients that, that keep the, the virtual session entertaining and people really leaning in to their laptop, desktop, or iPad, these are just um, uh, a few tips that really can keep distracted learners focused and engaged throughout an entire session.
3: Yeah, I can build on that. I think if we really ponder how we interact with screens in our lives outside the working world we can probably all admit that we're looking to be entertained it doesn't always have to be fun or funny Um, sometimes it's serious and heart-tugging but we look at a screen and pay attention to it because it's captured not just our eyes and our minds necessarily, but because it's it's tugged at us somehow, our emotion. And as uh, Sean mentioned, things like high production value counts. social moments count thinking of the presenters as not just a deliverer of, content but actually a showman or a showwoman on a stage and uh, using every trick of the trade to get people leaned in pulled in sucked in and believing that they're watching this and participating in this not because they have to but because they want to and that is uh, an important learning going forward and it certainly applies to how we approach work that we do with our studios and our pando platform and others
1: those are some great tips. I think it's definitely easy to become distracted um, during virtual meetings, mostly because right now, a lot of us feel like there's so many of them. What tips do you have for reducing this kind of virtual meeting fatigue that many people are seeing um, in today's increasingly digital business
3: environment? Um, I'll, so Matt, I'll jump in you know i think the number one thing is to recognize that not all meetings and meeting objectives are the same so there's a big difference from a team status update meeting versus a senior important strategic strategy planning meeting and that's different from a training meeting which is still different further from a national sales force motivational meeting and so Picking the right tech for the right task is critical because um, if we're all stuck to our screens all day, every day, it can become quite draining. But if this meeting can be done with a phone call, then you know, I can walk around the house while I'm on that phone call and keep my my body active and my brain engaged in the conversation without having to sit still in one place on a camera and I think making those choices, being very careful about what solution you're choosing for what meeting is probably the most important one. Secondly, I think Sean mentioned well earlier that you really have to be thoughtful about time that Blocking an hour of time for each meeting on the calendar looks pretty and tidy and convenient when you look at your Outlook calendar, but it doesn't necessarily reflect how important each of those discussions might be in the context of your day sometimes a five minute conversation is all you need. Um, Sometimes you do need three hours, but it's really, really helpful to build in a couple breaks so that people can stand up, walk around, use the facilities, get something to eat or drink, shake their uh, etch-a-sketch, if you will. Um, And then lastly, just to echo the point one last time, If you're leading an important meeting, a training session, certainly, you've got to really keep things moving, keep them entertaining, keep people pulled in, let other people speak, let the people know who are remote, believe real time that they can be pulled into the conversation at any moment. So they better stay on their toes and focused on what's happening. Um, So there's a lot of things you can do to reduce fatigue. um, And I think we've all learned quite a bit over the last 12 months.
2: Those are great uh, great points, Matt, and really the only thing I have to add is, and this is really more for content agencies, and I've, we've made this point earlier in this session, but, you know, content providers need to really build
3: agendas
2: and their content with the virtual learning environment, experience that they desire to achieve, and the platform that has been selected in mind. We can't take uh, the same approach to, to building content in a virtual world as we do uh, for in-person meetings.
0: Thanks. And Sean, I wanted to, to go back to something you mentioned earlier about how important it was that the facilitators, the presenters really understand you know, how to present virtually, understand the platform and understand, you know, the difference between presenting in person and presenting online. So what skills do people need, leaders or presenters need, to become successful virtual facilitators? And what steps can learning and development take to help them develop those skills?
2: Well, I think foundationally, uh, virtual presenters, moderators, and trainers have to have great interpersonal communication and presentation skills. They have to have the ability to moderate and facilitate dialogue and engagement among and across participants. Uh, They should be knowledgeable and fluent of all the engagement tools and features of the platform that they're using, and they have to use these tools in a purposeful and diverse way throughout the course of the, the entire virtual event. And there's a nuance Skill that, that has to be really trained on and, and leveraged, and that's the ability to pull people back into a learning session or a conversation when they can see and tell that uh, they've lost focus. And they have to do that in a non-threatening or a non-intimidating way. And uh, really, they have to have a, a discipline and a sophistication to, to utilize all the engagement measures and scores, as I've mentioned in the past, to really evaluate and inform the way that they design and that they facilitate and moderate future meetings and training sessions that they hold. Every one of those a perfect
3: point, Sean. I'll just build on it more broadly saying that, to really be a great virtual facilitator, you've got to be, especially coming out of the learnings of the pandemic, you've got to be extraordinarily human. Um, Empathy, situation sensing, humor are all really, really important. Uh, What we've learned through this grand experiment over the last 12 months is a lot about people's individual lives, their individual circumstance, the setting of their home office, their kids, their pets, their doorbell chiming, their challenges. And if you're gonna be successful in connecting with remote attendees in any kind of a meeting, and certainly a training meeting, you've gotta really demonstrate that you understand what's happening on the other end of that camera. And the more you do that, the more people get pulled in and feel connected, not just via technology, but connected as human beings, which is a point Sean made earlier uh, in one of the other questions we addressed.
0: That's such a great point. I think we've all seen really into our our coworkers' lives this year uh, and last year for better or worse and, and hopefully for better. So that's a great point to keep in mind in virtual facilitation as well. All right, so to wrap things up today, what do you see happening this year in, in, this, in the virtual event space, virtual training, virtual meetings? Uh, what, you know, what should people look out for this year? What trends do you predict happening?
3: So I'll take that one. Um, I think the most obvious answer is the notion of hybrid meetings, that as we emerge out of the pandemic and into a next normal phase, there's going to be a blend of both live in person and virtual technology, remote engagement. And that's clearly the path forward and probably will remain the path forward for possibly forever. I also think there's going to be changes in the way people think about remote engagements. Uh, we talked a lot about high production value, thinking about it not just as a meeting, but as uh, something that is pulling people in by nature of its content, by the dynamism of the presenters, the empathy they display, all those kind of things. I also think there's gonna be evolution in technology and the way people think about what they, where they are and what they're looking at while they're in remote meetings. Most of us have been somewhat reduced to think about a virtual event as something that occurs on a 12 inch laptop screen. Possibly if you're you know real advanced, you'll have it plugged into a second screen that's a little larger sitting alongside it. Um, but the truth is, Sometimes it's better to see things life size, larger screens, the ability to stand up in front of a screen and interact with somebody who appears life size or larger, changing the dynamic. Now I'm not just sitting here looking at my camera. I might be walking around and interacting with other things while I'm in a meeting, physical space. Um, The room you're in, we've all seen different backgrounds. Um, I think there's gonna be continued advancement of the technology that creates the environment that we want to present and how that is connecting with the people on the other end of that camera. And I think the innovation is just going to continue blending platforms together, creating the opportunities to do new things, introducing 3D animations, um, virtual reality into virtual meetings. Um, I think it's just going to keep going and going and going. I couldn't have said it
2: better myself, Mr. Giegert. You're a good man.
1: Perfect. Well, all right. That concludes this episode of The Business of Learning. So Matt and Sean, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you so much much.
3: for including us. We appreciate it.
0: To learn more about this topic and to view this episode's highlights in animation, check out the show notes at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast.
1: And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at infotrainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training
2: Industry Podcast.